2: Before we talk about day trading, a quick request from me. We're making a podcast about the bank of mum and dad. I'm looking for a guest who's preparing to buy their first home, and I'd also like to speak with the parent who's helping them with the deposit. Interested to know more? Email me, money at ft.com. Now, on with the show. Have you got FOMO over GameStop? Maybe you're considering doing a YOLO and betting your whole portfolio on a single trade. Well, if you haven't got a clue what I'm talking about, let me explain. This episode is all about the phenomenon of day trading, which has taken off under lockdown, with young investors sharing tips in chat rooms spurred on by FOMO, the fear of missing out.
3: It's very popular now in the youth because obviously what's happened with GameStop, it's all over social media.
2: Young investors with time on their hands and little else to spend their money on have rushed to open trading accounts, including Ross, a 19-year-old student from Oxfordshire.
3: I was sat there all day, holding on to the stock, heart pumping all day, and uh, I held on for a bit too long, and uh, it went down.
2: Ross has been thinking, if he invested his money for a matter of years, rather than a matter of minutes, could he make a better return? Welcome to Money Clinic, the weekly podcast from the Financial Times dedicated to tackling real life financial issues. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's consumer editor. You could say Ross is an early adopter. He got into day trading long before the pandemic, at the age of 11, in fact, after watching a memorable movie. What was the movie?
3: Uh, Wolf of Wall Street.
2: Okay. That is a good one, I have to say.
3: It is a great one.
2: A <laughs> controversial tale, nevertheless, watching a young Leonardo DiCaprio rise up through the Wall Street ranks opened Ross's eyes to the wider world of trading and investing.
3: Uh, I go into my computer. And I go onto YouTube, searching how to trade stocks, and a YouTuber came up on about day trading
2: them. Ross opened a dummy trading account using Investopedia's stock simulator. Soon, he was hooked on guessing what the shares of big tech companies would do next.
3: Everyone who I know, if they trade stocks, always loves the bit of Apple mm. because they know it. I've got an Apple phone, an easy stock with lots of information out there. And uh, from there, it was just doing it every day, pretty much.
2: <laughs> Is that because every day you were able to make money?
3: Every day was more of a, I wonder if I do this, what would happen? So I'd be sat in class. And I'd actually put up my phone and start trading. (laughs) Like, I would just find stock which was moving really fast and was cheap. I would just put a load of fake money into there, hit the bat and see what happens. (laughs) And you'd be like, well, this could be real.
2: Sometimes he'd win, sometimes he'd lose. But as this was a dummy account, no real money was ever at stake. At the start of the pandemic, seeing stock markets plunge around the world fired up Ross's animal instincts. Now 18 years old, he opened an account on the app Trading212 and started using his own money. He turned to messaging boards and YouTubers for trading tips, and he wasn't the only one.
1: An army of users from the social media platform Reddit is turning the stock market on its head. Big guys shorting this and smaller players, retail investors buying it and making windfall profits, at least on paper.
4: For example, one of our witnesses here, Mr. Gill, or should I say Roaring Kitty, turned $53,000 into almost $50 million. And that's what you would call some deep, you know what value.
3: It was coming from Wall Street Bats on Reddit, which the hype was GameStop. And uh, the other one was AMC. There's people in there which say, yeah, I will do a YOLO and put a lot of money into it and see what happens.
2: A YOLO? Explain. Yeah.
3: Uh, YOLO, you only live once and you put a very large amount of money into a stock. That is a gamble
2: in my eyes. Ross was one of hundreds of thousands of traders around the world betting that shares in the US movie theatre operator would rise.
3: And so everyone's come over to AMC from GameStop trying to catch the next wave, let's say, which I partly rode out and made a little profit on. But it was very risky.
2: (laughs) And how much did you make from that particular trade?
3: Around £230.
2: And that took you how long?
3: Uh, About five minutes. (laughs) Yeah. I had to just go do what I had to do and take it off the table and just leave it. Because I would have been burnt.
2: (laughs) For this reason, many serious investors consider trading to be gambling. And Ross is aware of the risks. Tell me about a trade that went a bit wrong.
3: Gosh, I think. Uh, So there was an American company, Genius Brands. I was sat there all day, holding on to the stock, heart pumping all day, and uh, I held on for a bit too long. And uh, it went down, and the biggest loss for me at that point in time.
2: Ross lost a quarter of his portfolio, at that time around £100.
3: As a student, it's a lot of money, but it's also a lot of money which I'd spend on a night out. (laughs)
2: <laughs>
3: so chucking out, of the stock now is so much better than going on a night out.
2: <laughs> Under lockdown, Ross obviously can't spend his money on a night out. However, he has spent an awful lot of time watching the markets.
3: From the UK markets opening, I would sit there from 9.30 all the way to, you know, 3 o'clock. Or from the US markets at 2.30, I would, I would sit there all the way to 10 o'clock. <laughs> And it's something which I really wanted to take serious, so I was really willing to put in the time, partly on nerves as well.
2: That's dedication. But recently Ross has been thinking that he'd like to spend his time learning about investing in a different way.
3: When I was learning, I was learning from YouTube, reading articles, I was reading blogs, and I couldn't get access to deep down information. So I would start reading books. It's a complete different (laughs) ballgame, because you're looking at inside a company's finance and its health.
2: Ross has decided that from now on, he'll invest 90% of his portfolio for the long term and keep back 10% for riskier trading. But when it comes to working out a strategy, he needs a little help from our podcast experts.
3: I really want to know, how do I take my investments and strategy from being short-term to even longer-term and uh, avoid the get-rich-quick schemes, which... I'm able to avoid, but it's getting harder and harder to differentiate between the two now. So, yeah, just trying to identify good, authentic, valuable information
2: and where to find that is hard. The great thing about Ross is that he's really got the investing bug. Trading is something that excites him, but I'm keen to encourage him to learn more about the long-term benefits. So is my first expert, Merrin Somerset-Webb, he has been writing a column in the FT Weekend for over 10 years and is the most enthusiastic person about investing that I know. So, first, Merrin, I want to talk to you about how trading has just taken off under lockdown. We've seen the Wall Street bets phenomenon, trading in companies like GameStop. That has got many, many young people interested in stock markets for the first time. But does this please you or worry you? A mixture of both, shall I say. A lot of people have more cash knocking around than they
1: used to have, and an awful lot of people have more time than they used to have. And of course, the markets have been absolutely fascinating for the last year. And so I am thrilled when I see new accounts being opened and I see young people starting to invest. The concern is that they're trading. They're using it like a game. And a lot of people who haven't much experience in the markets have very little experience of losing money in the equity markets, which can happen incredibly quickly and be very upsetting. And what I worry about is the possibility that we could see a mini
2: crash and that would then put people off long term. That certainly wouldn't put off Ross, who's hungry to learn more and is happy to put in the hours learning about how to build a portfolio of investments to hold for the long term. Don't forget, He told me he could happily spend a whole day looking at how stock market prices fluctuate. But is that a good use of his time?
1: The thing you really have to remember is that this is very, very time consuming. There is a reason why people outsource this stuff to professionals, because you need to know each company really, really well. So the first thing is, do you have the time? Can you do the research? So, you know, what you don't want to do is is when you're trying to invest for the long term is to get into a mentality of watching stuff all the time. And you don't need to review your portfolio every day. You only need to do it every three to six months
2: unless you see something dramatic changing from the information you had when you first went in. That will be quite a change for Ross in his move from day trading to investing. And picking shares of companies to invest in for the long term is tricky. You may think you're the cleverest person in the world. There've been an awful lot of investors before you who think they
1: are the cleverest person in the world. But in the main, most fund managers get an
2: awful lot of stuff wrong all the time. So with that in mind, you've got to be diversified. Diversifying is all about spreading your risk. So if one investment goes wrong, you won't lose your shirt. So you have to be divided up between sectors,
1: divided up between countries as well. You're not just in one country here. But then you really can't have more than 20 or 30 stocks because you can't follow them all, you can't watch them all, certainly not if you have a job of any kind, and the benefits of diversification kind of disappear after a certain amount of time.
2: So Ross tells me that he's going to put 90% of his portfolio into pursuing longer-term investing ideas, but he wants to keep 10% of it back for trading. Mm -hmm. Now, do you think that there should ever be a place for that kind of trading in someone's portfolio, even if it is a smaller amount? If he enjoys it, absolutely. There are people who make fortunes that way. Of
1: course, most people don't. Almost everybody loses money trading. But if he knows that, he thinks it's a, a reasonable hobby. And in doing the trading, he's keeping an eye on the markets that gives him insight into the remaining 90% of his portfolio. I don't see this is a bad thing. A lot of my readers will put 95% of their portfolio into a nice, professionally-run, diversified group of investment funds, and then they'll take the rest and they'll play around on uh, stuff that looks exciting.
2: Ross is worried about some of the so-called investment advice he's seen being shared on people's Instagram and TikTok accounts, and he's not alone. Last month, the UK financial regulator warned young investors that the risks of losing money were nowhere near clear enough. Mm.
1: person worried about investing advice they got on TikTok, I think that's a very valid feeling. Now, you have to remember that most people can't give advice legally, individually with their money, so you're not going to get that kind of advice anywhere. But if you want to get information so you can make your own decisions on the market as a whole, one of the best ways to do it is to go to
2: the fund management websites. Fund managers are professional investors. It's their job to pick shares in lots of different companies that they think will beat the market and place them all in one fund. Then they sell units in the fund to investors like you and me. We buy one investment, but we get exposure to 20 or 30 different companies. As Merin says, their websites are a fantastic source of free information.
1: You will find their explanations about how they invest stuff on valuations, what they mean in a historical context, which sectors are more expensive than others. Or you want to hear someone really established in the market explaining the benefits or not of Bitcoin, it's a great place to go. So I know everyone's talking their book all the time, right? No one's going to talk about the stocks in their portfolio and say they're rubbish, but it's a great way if you want to learn from people who invest professionally and do it well, as opposed to from people who are trading and gambling on social
2: media. And if Ross can resist the temptation to tinker with his portfolio too much, he will free up a lot of time that could be better spent reading books. So what's at the top of Merrin's reading list for new investors? Nobody should start
1: investing until they've read Charles Mackay's Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds. It gives you a sense of how easy it is to get carried away with an exciting new trend mm-hmm. and overpay for it. You don't want to do that. You have to read a lot
2: more widely than just finance to see what's happening. Thanks, Marin. If you're an avid reader, there are more book suggestions in the show notes for this episode. Now, picking shares on his own isn't the only way that Ross could build a portfolio. I thought it would be worth hearing from someone who's been in the business and has founded a website that is one of the go-to sources of free and trusted information for young investors.
4: My name is Damien Fay. I run the personal finance site, Money to the Masses. I used to work in the city for firms that gave financial advice, and from that, I then decided that I wanted to do more to help ordinary people who don't have access to financial advice. Because of the advice gap that exists, it's really the wealthy people who enjoy financial advice and can afford to pay for it.
2: Mm. Now, the TikTok generation are obviously very attracted to day trading because they think they can make a lot of money very quickly.
4: It's a bit like when people first come into investing. It's a bit like if they were first trying to learn to drive and then you give them a Formula One car and get them to drive around London, then the chances are they're probably going to have an accident. Or if they don't, they're going to think they never want to drive again. So that's kind of what we're seeing with this TikTok generation. They're getting excited about the potential returns that they're being told they can get, but the dangers aren't being explained. And so what's happening, people are having the accidents and losing money, or they're just thinking, no, this isn't for me, and therefore are put off investing altogether altogether.
2: What would an investment mishap look like and why is it so important for people like Ross to try and avoid that?
4: An investment mishap could be where you pick a hot tip on an individual share and therefore you think you've got some information that, that means that share will go up. And it doesn't and it collapses very quickly and you haven't been quick enough to get out of the trade. You could lose all of your money. What Ross needs to realise, a lot of this is mathematics. If you own something, so you buy a share and its price halves, it's got to double just to get back to where you were. And so that's why you want to try and minimise those mishaps because over the long term, they can hinder your investment process. So what you're trying to do is do something that's very consistent over a period of time that is repeatable. And picking those gems of winners is very, very hard to do.
2: For this reason...
4: Damien, who blogs about the ups and downs of his own
2: £50,000 investment portfolio, prefers to invest in funds rather than picking a basket of stocks himself. These could be active funds, as Merrin described, where a fund manager picks a bunch of shares they think will outperform. Damien tends to favour passive funds, funds that mimic an index like the FTSE 100 or S&P 500 fund managers will charge investors a fee, but the charges are much cheaper on passive investments. Damien says that regularly investing every month, even if it's only a small amount of money, is a brilliant habit for young investors to get into.
4: Quickest way to grow it is to add more money. So if you're, if you're only putting £100 into an investment, the return element has a small effect because it's a small snowball you're starting with. If he just increases contributions, then his snowball will get bigger and in time, the investment returns will start to have a bigger impact.
2: The strategy of investing little and often is also a tried and tested way of riding
4: out the peaks and troughs of the stock market. If the market goes up and down, he benefits from something called pound cost averaging. So if the market collapses, if he's putting in money every month, He just needs to think about he's buying more at a cheaper price. And then when the market recovers over the long term, then he will inevitably make more money that way. I do appreciate this could sound like a pretty dull message for listeners who
2: dream of quadrupling their money on GameStop shares. But Damien wants to reassure
4: Ross that it's all about starting young. Now, what he doesn't realise is that if Ross decided that he wanted to put maybe £125 a month into an investment from the age of, say, 1920, the long-term return on investments is broadly on equities about 6% after inflation. And if he had that kind of return, which is not outlandish, then Ross would actually have a million pounds by the time he's 65.
2: Just by investing £125 a month
4: regularly every month if he kept doing that because of the time frame and so starting young ross could get to a million pound of course that's not taking into account inflation Mm -hmm. but there's another trick that ross can do which is if he just increases his contribution rates by let's say seven percent a year so this year he's doing 125 next year it's 134 pound a month he slowly does that his pot will be about 2.7 million which works out roughly about a million pounds in real money, in in today's money. So Ross doesn't need to try and go crazy with investing. If he can do his trading and maybe some active fund investing, but have a core passive element that tracks the market, and he just sits there and thinks, I'm going to keep pumping money in, he's going to have a lot of choices later in life by the time he's 65 that other people won't have done. OK, there's a lot of assumptions in those numbers, but it shows how
2: consistently investing a small amount of money over a long period of time can really pay off. To that end, what's Damien's top investment book?
4: Robbie Burns has got a book called Naked Trader that's very good. It's a very sort of sensible book, gives you a lot of insights into buying shares and the reasons to do so. The other book I would really recommend is How to Own the World by Andrew Craig. And this explores the whole concept of why you'd want to invest. So rather than the idea of just trying to get particular returns or get rich quick, it explores the concept of trying to invest and own things rather than speculatively trading.
2: There's a few more suggestions in the show notes. Ross is going to need to invest in a new bookshelf at this rate. But what did he make of the experts' tips on making the transition from trading to investing? getting richer slowly, as opposed to making a quick buck on the markets.
3: The resources they recommended, the books were definitely helpful, because that gives me a lot more resources to go to and
2: learn from. Mm. I mean, certainly Merrin's advice that there's so much good quality, free information that you can read on the websites of the big fund managers. Is that something that you'll have a look at?
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm totally going to go look at everything after this. I'm probably going to put a bigger Amazon basket on for these books. But the website sounded amazing.
2: And what did you think about Merin's views on the risks of trading? I mean, I was surprised because I thought she'd be quite down on trading.
3: I do actually enjoy it as well. As she was saying, if I enjoy it, Carol, i doing it. I just got to make sure I stick to 10% if something goes well and I don't go above that.
2: Mm. Now, both Merrin and Damien gave advice about how you could find out more information about developing a longer-term investment mindset. Is that something that you feel clearer about now?
3: Yeah, totally. What I got from them two is I both need to find something which tracks the market. Tracking the market in general, I'm not actually involved in. Mm. So I need to find a good tracker.
2: Will you talk to your friends about the things that we've talked about on the podcast? Do you think that they will take any of these suggestions on board?
3: They know my idea, which is kind of aligned with the whole thing being said right now but I feel like I'm probably going to put a little bit extra more stress in there for them. Although to the people who are my friends and we don't discuss this, it's going to be a hard topic to talk about because I doubt they're going to want to say they lost £2,000 because they did a YOLO somewhere.
2: That's it for Money Clinic with me, Claire Barrett, this week, and we hope you like what you've heard. If you do, spread the word leave us a review. If you would like to chat with me on a future episode of the show and get some expert thoughts on a money issue that's been bugging you, then email me. Our address is money at ft.com. You can also take a peek at our website, ft.com money, grab a copy of the FT Weekend newspaper, or follow me on Instagram. I'm at Claire B. Money Clinic was produced in London by Josh Delamere and Persis Love. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner and our editor is Amy Keane. and the original music is by Metaphor Music. And finally, just so you know, the Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you need to find an independent financial advisor. That's the small print over and done with. See you back here next week. Goodbye.